Hi, welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nika Anani and I'm your host. This week I was joined by two impeccable, powerful, inspirational, wise, amazing ladies who shared generously of their stories and also shared generously of their expertise. Ella Chase is a seventh generation inheritor whose parents really were quite unconventional in the family and broke away from high society. So she straddled between what she terms as a normal life and the high society life, observing common challenges that the next generation would have as inheritors, and also that she had herself. On the other hand, Veronica is originally from Mexico City, and her father and his siblings built a really successful manufacturing family business that unfortunately went bankrupt. Went bankrupt not because the business wasn't viable, but because the family dynamics would unfortunately lead to the demise of business. So we had such an amazing conversation on the true meaning of wealth. Wealth is not a thing. It's a beating heart, in the words of Veronica. We also spoke about how quite often in families, there are missing conversations. Missing conversations on the meaning of wealth. Missing conversations on the shadow of wealth. Missing conversations for female inheritors. Why is it particularly difficult for females to grapple with their wealth identity and with power and leading in a high net worth family environment. So this is an episode you want to really tune into and soak in, soak in all the wisdom. It thoroughly, thoroughly blessed me. Take care. Enjoy. Welcome Ella and Veronica to The Connected Generation. I'm so excited about this conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Nikki. Awesome. I want to know more about your individual journeys. How did you get to where you are today? Perhaps to start with you, Ella. Sure. Oh, how much time do we have? All right, let (laughs) me try to be concise. All the wonderful years of experience put into one five-minute response. (laughs) I grew up in New York. I was born into a family that came over on the Mayflower. So I'm a long-standing New York family. I'm a seventh generation inheritor. And Mm. something unique that happened that has informed my upbringing was that my mother was the first person to reject high society, the family businesses and everything ran through her side of my parents. And she refused to go to boarding school. She refused to be in the social registrar. And she refused, a lot of times marriages were mergers, like almost arranged. And she refused to participate in that and married my father as an act of defiance and moved me out to the country. So I grew up with goats and chickens, but getting bussed into the city for etiquette school and ballroom dancing. And so I had this very wide breadth of experience that Hmm. many of, well, all of my other family members who lived the country club lifestyle and the private school life in town, I had a much different experience. And now looking back, I'm really grateful for that. But at the time, it was kind of like, "Mm, they're picking out their cars for their 16th birthday. And I'm like mucking a stall and eating goats and chickens. So what's that all about? And then the other important thing to know about me that has really informed my journey is I grew up as a downhill ski racer. I was a junior Olympic downhill ski racing athlete. And 
Wow. What's important about that? Yeah. Long time ago, different life. Watch out for your knees, everybody. Watch out for those ACLs. <laughs> I grew up with cultivating my own confidence in my own skill set because I had that athletic background that was an individual sport. You train in a team, but it was individual performance. So that really informs my ability to have a voice and a vote and my own confidence in myself. My father was my ski coach. And when I was 11, he was in an accident at a coaching clinic for me in Placid at the Olympic Training Center. And he became paralyzed from the neck down. So I realized two things in a very, very small moment in time. One, life is precious and fragile. Mm. And two, money doesn't solve for everything. So with that as my background, it really informed the way that I looked at life. And as a constant overachiever, I knew that in my specific family and our family council, that there weren't many roles for people under 50. And certainly the women had been conditioned not to any of their faults, but the trust documents and everything were written to reward women for getting married and having children. And so that wasn't just going to be how I wanted to live my life. And Mm. so I went out and made my own success on my own terms. I spent 12 years in high tech doing disaster recovery and business continuity strategy for Fortune 100 companies. It's very relaxing work. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Lived on an airplane 25 days a month. I had gotten married to my childhood sweetheart. And by the time I was approaching 30, I was like, this is not what I wanted. I was promised that if I achieved all these things, I'd feel a certain way. And I did all of that. And the more I achieved on my own, the less and less I felt. So the next Mm -hmm. decade I spent undoing all of those decisions and ended up meeting my amazing business partner, Michelle, in an entrepreneurial think tank, traveling the world in Bolivia. And we started bonding on how we looked at the world and how we wanted to really be of impact. It turns out She's a second generation family member. Her dad and uncle created, developed, and sold a family business in her lifetime. And so we started inadvertently having these old money, new money conversations without even trying. And like the questions she was asking and her parents and family were asking were so different than mine hundreds of years later. And yet underlying, we found a lot of themes. And so ultimately to fast forward, we ended up creating WealthWorks as a space and place for female inheritors to come have a voice, have a vote, feel confident, understand who they are as individuals separate from their family and how they want to contribute. And along the way, I met Vero, who's here on the phone, and we really bonded over a bunch of things. But I'm going to pause there and we'll leave it. Oh my God, there's so much to unpack. After I hear Veronica's story, I'm sure she's got a lot to tell us as well about how did you get to where you are today, Veronica? So it's a very different story, and I think it's complemental on all of us. So I'm originally from Mexico City, and that's where I think my journey started. That's where my dad and his five brothers, in the 60s, they founded a successful manufacturing business. They were making engine molds in the auto industry. It was booming, grew exponentially, but it failed, not because of the concept or their business skills, because of the family. And so many, many years later, I discovered that there's a whole niche of industry dedicated to help family businesses to prevent this kind of tragedy. My dad and you know my uncles, they didn't know how to communicate or make good ownership decisions. They were never trained or learned that from anywhere. And so it ultimately mm. 
destroyed both the business and the family. And when mm-hmm. I was 11 years old, the once thriving business went bankrupt. My dad reinvented himself professionally, but he passed away five years ago and he hadn't spoken to some of his brothers since the breakup of the company. And today, I don't know most of my paternal uncles and cousins wow. that just walk next to each other. I have no idea that they are. So I watch my family and its business destroy each other. I'm also very aware that the only version that I have about this story is my dad. I never got to learn or understand what happened from the other five heads, you know, and so mm-hmm. that's an opportunity that I missed. And well, I think if my dad would have had someone in his life who does what we do, I think many things would have changed. Not necessarily the business would have become something extraordinary, but it didn't have to be so tragic. Mm-hmm. I think my dad's life would have been different. My uncle's life would have been different. My past too, it would have, it would have been different. And so the business, the families, the individuals, all of us were changed because of conversations that never happened and good mm. questions that were never asked. And I mean, this is a human cause behind family businesses and I lived it. And that's why I'm deeply involved in helping family enterprises, listening to all the stories, helping them listen to each other. Um, in my experience, I'm a lawyer by background. I work in the financial industry. I work as a trustee and constantly saw how everybody, all the experts that support family enterprises, kind of approach wealth as a thing. It's something out there. In my own experience, it's not. (laughs) Wealth Mm -hmm. is a human factor and it sustains or breaks the wealth. And that's my passion, to work with the beating heart behind wealth. I own my own family business with my husband. So we are a family business and we live what we say and what we tell clients. I've been global since I was 11 years old, live around the world. That has been my passion. That's why we moved to New Zealand, Singapore, and now we live in San Diego. And I'm a mom of a two-year-old and a six-year-old. And there's a lot of learning on that path. I'm still learning to come. So our passion is to work with families. We have a family office we founded five years ago. It's a multifamily office. We saw that there were many experts. No one was looking at that beating heart of what's going on behind the decisions, behind the Mm -hmm. dynamics. And my ultimate goal is to help families not to leave this level of tragedy. There may be others, but it can be done in a different way. Your stories are just phenomenal. I guess you're personal journeys have inspired where you both are today. And I'm intrigued, when did your paths cross and how and why did you decide to collaborate? So Ella. we met, I think. Or Veronica, like, whoever. <laughs> I think we met four years ago, highly pregnant woman here <laughs> in a conference room in Colorado. And I hear this amazing woman, Ella, just talking about females and heritage, her passion. And I just was like, we have to talk. <laughs> and so we started to know each other. I met Michelle. I think there was a lot of echo on our values and passion and everything we said. It was like, yes, yes, yes. So I think it has been a collaboration that's really grown. We dedicated a lot of time last year to work closer together to a council that we launched last year, the Worldwide Women's Council. And that's our primarily collaboration. But we just, yeah, I'm going to pause there. It was really fun for me slash us here, Michelle and I in the wealth work side to see Vero's passion and the differentiator for us 
was being globally minded since Michelle mm-hmm. and I created this and we've been raised thankfully from our parents to be very globally minded even before the internet go step in someone else's shoes we all believe like travels the greatest equalizer like you can't judge people until you mm-hmm. actually step next to them I don't think I'm telling either of you anything new but in case any listeners need the reinforcement even if it's out of your town you don't even have to leave the country but please leave your country and go see other places that we really saw across the globe that it wasn't just a West versus East issue. It wasn't just a money and no money issue. There was this thread of humanity and all of these women with so much potential that felt so isolated and full of shame and guilt. And we really wanted to speak to and call them forth. And that's when Navarro called us probably a year ago now and was like, hey, do you think there'd be an international appeal with your clients and our clients. And Michelle and I were like, heck yeah, how do we do this? How do we do this sooner? How do we connect more women together, more humans, more families? Interesting. Really, really interesting. And very when you were speaking, the passion that you have for business families comes through and really the underlying dynamics that you're kind of alluding to that other professionals overlook and look at wealth as a thing, but you say it's not a thing. It's a human factor. Can you speak more to that? Oh, yes, absolutely. So my background, as I mentioned, I'm a corporate lawyer originally. I don't any longer practice that. But again, I've been with all these hats of managing wealth and the ownership. And I've seen, you know, how many structures can be placed and plans. And again, having lived that, having seen it with so many clients, all of those plans, you know, will not work if you're not listening carefully and doing the right questions. And I don't think it's a skill for all the advisors, but it has to be on the table because at the end, there is a beating heart that starts all these family businesses. These founders are just full of passion. And I mean, I've never worked with a founder that did what they did for the money. They mm. wanted to impact something. And that was like they're living and breathing and it becomes another children. And you talk to the next generation and what is that? What happens with that beating heart? It's not their cause. It was not the thing. Like the thing, they have a lot of solutions and advice for how to invest and reinvest and forums. But what about the beating heart? And who's listening to that beating heart? And we started doing this work uh, five years ago, especially we tuned even more into that. We saw that we could make great resources that perhaps other, other advisors were not looking at. So we would come into families that had a family protocol, beautifully made, really well, but there was no beating heart behind that and nobody was really sitting down. So we do a deep work where we run tests. So personality tests, team tests, interviews, but in depth, like some of the interviews were scheduled for 90 minutes and we ended up a couple of weeks ago, six hours. Because there wow. was so much feedback. And so listening, tuning in, making it a long-term for us. That's the way we feel that we touch the heart. I think sometimes it's heavy and sometimes as an advisor, it can get overwhelming, but that's where I, particularly my team, we found purpose. That's so beautiful. When you said the beating heart, something just kind of went off in me and you were speaking about the next generation. Can you speak a little bit more about the issues that you see next gens particularly facing and the families that you serve and and do you have any words of wisdom, any tips, any shortcuts for my people, please? <laughs> yes, of course. So next generation, what do I see and what do I love working with the next generation? As I was mentioning in my own story, 
the conversations that were never had and the voices that were never heard were those that just cracked the family business. So in my work, I was listening to very silent humans in the room, particularly the next generation. And when I started having one-on-one time with them and listening and understanding to them, I could see pain. I could see pain in just some of the feelings that Ella was mentioning, you know, just feeling very isolated. Who can I talk Mm. about in terms of wealth? Also, all these mix. And when I'm talking next-gen, rising gen, I mean, this is 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60-year-olds. But they are carrying this kind of shame. Should I be more responsible? Guilt. Am I able to even ask? Is it okay to ask? Uncertainty. What can I expect? What is expected of me? Fear. Am I the one to be losing everything? So all these feelings that I know you guys know well and hear. But when we just open a space for them where we had no agenda, we just wanted to listen to them. It was like this unbottling of feelings that I think if I could give any next-gen member listening one advice is just find a confidential space where you can process your feelings around wealth. And I think by doing that work, you can try to find your own voice because one of the biggest things that we see is just making decisions in an overabundance of opportunities. There are so many opportunities. What do you want? You can choose everything. And then there is this paralysis of saying, you know, the stakes are high on the decision that I make and I am not even able to listen to myself. So finding a mm-hmm. space with your own council of advisors, we work with our nation members and create their own small councils when they can get a different voice. It's not mom's advisor or dad's advisor. It's someone that I can trust and just brainstorm and walk and be more strategic about the decisions. And um, I also say, you know, one of the things is I feel they are often out of the conversation because they don't have the skills and maybe the language to get into the conversation in a very effective way. So the conversation from the next gen that I've heard sometimes is very emotional, like mom doesn't like me. She doesn't want to support me. She's not giving me half a million dollars for this project that actually makes no sense, right? It's very emotional. Instead of saying, you know, what do I need to know about this investment that I want to do? How do I present it as a business case? How do we all learn? So for that, my suggestion is getting the skills that nobody teaches in the normal university. It is not something you're going to learn on an MBA or this degree to be an owner, to be an inheritor. There are many courses now. We have our own program and there are many on the market that will give you the skills to learn how to be an owner. You're going to be a shareholder. What does that mean? What is a share? How do I vote? And also the emotional part. Do I even want this? So working with someone like Ella and Michelle, like that coaching piece. And finally, I think what I see is the silence. The silence is something that I constantly hear. There's pain behind the silence. Am I being not trusted? I don't want to know the number. I just want to be heard. But why is dad and mom not sharing that information with me? So I think they have to, if they're willing to create change and find their path, they will have to open conversations within the family that are maybe uncomfortable or not used. But mm-hmm. it's normally not mom and dad who are going to one day say, I think you're ready. Let's talk about it. Or it's going to take a long time. But if they are able to understand, what do I want to know? Why? How can I communicate it? Being strategic on the way they are posting conversations. Why is it important for you? I think they need to have those conversations. It's important. The family needs that. They just have to understand how to manage that path and not give up. It's a whole process opening that conversation where the next gen is rising and is taking a stage and the other members are moving. 
Yeah, come on, Ella. Two things came from my mind when I was listening to Vero speak. One is a message for the wealth creators, the parents and the grandparents out there that nine times out of 10, the rising generation, they're like, we're not looking for money. We're looking for clarity. Like, what are our responsibilities? Mm. What are our roles? What are you expecting of us? Because that target's always moving. And so we can't plan our lives unless we know. If you say $0, great, I've got a lot of freedom. And it doesn't have to be a dollar amount. I find that the parents of our clients or some of our clients that our parents are always like, oh, I don't want to disclose the number. This isn't about the number. It's about if you're unwilling to have the dialogue, there's so much to zero was saying that's being unsaid that we can feel it's kinetic. Like it's in the air, you know it and you get, and it's just like, we don't have to do it this way. The other thing I wanted to share from my own personal experience to reinforce what Vero was saying is, I think part of the success, even though we're only a 400 year old family, is having the humanity and the communication that's not just about business. So I mm. have ancestors that I'll never meet that I can go visit in museums on the walls and whatever, but that created shared family property. So how are you creating a container where people can come together and gather? And for us, that is a physical property. But where are those spaces where you get to connect? Like I have the privilege of growing up with my fourth and fifth cousins because somebody 120 years ago had the insight to put together this property where we all come before our family meetings. And the amazing thing is I get to know people I wouldn't know because we live all over the country and some people abroad at this far down. But additionally, I have the opportunity in my late 30s, who I'm still, I think, two generations away from being on a board, like running anything, being on the executive board is like, hey, do we really need to carry on this argument that came from the Great Depression where great aunt Sally was mad at Uncle Ted about something that went down? No. We can choose to just move forward. That's a hundred year old argument. Can we just let sleeping dogs lie? And how do we want to move forward? Even if we're not getting vote control, but getting voice control. And so that's something Mm. I'm working on with my contemporaries that is independent of any shareholder liability, responsibility, ownership. So I just want to offer that to your audience as well. Wow. Thank you for offering that. I was actually going to ask you a little bit more about your passion for female inheritors of wealth. What specific issues do female inheritors face that males do not? Can you just break it down for us? Yes. Thank you for asking the question. Many people don't think about it. And to be honest, I'd rather be having like a fourth wave feminism intersectionality conversation that's genderless. But for the sake of this podcast, Mm. we'll stick with the old... That's another podcast. Yes, I would much... I cannot wait to have those conversations because I do think we have a responsibility to bring the dialogue forward instead of just keep trying to repair, but I honor there's part there. Okay. So the number one thing we see is women's relationship with power. Women think about power differently than men do. And with that in mind, we have been raised in a patriarchal society um, Mm. for the most part across the globe where power is power over. And so men therefore are more comfortable in that. They're socialized to it. I think they Mm. suffer just as much as women from having to be put in that pigeonhole. But it comes to the family enterprise component because women, and I can speak for myself, in the family enterprise, we're told to like, shut up and be grateful, sit and wait your turn, like sit there, look pretty, wait to be asked a question. So we're not raised to even think we have an opinion. Mm. Our greatest value is our physical appearance and our dowry. Like what kind of messaging is that? And there's a lot more flexibility for 
males to be able to navigate working. It's assumed that the firstborn male or a male will run the business. So I'm not saying anything new to the two of you here in an echo chamber, but have you thought about the females in leadership? Are you cultivating them the same way? And the answer is no. And it's not even malicious most of the time. It's just unconscious. And so how that manifests is females who are hyper-educated. Like at this generation now, everyone's gone to the best schools. They've been super therapized and they still feel helpless. And a lot of the times Mm -hmm. the parents want to protect the women from failure. And that's like the worst thing you can do. So they'll save the woman, the growing person from their failure. And the guy gets to like go fall on his face and then learn something. But because you don't let the female actually fail, she doesn't get any learning. So she can't grow. And that's just in the business context. In the family context, I think I referenced this a little bit earlier, but depending on how, and no fault to people, I mean, in the US, women couldn't even get a mortgage on their own until 1977. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is not an old issue. We're expecting society to change in less than 50 years. But the protecting of females has actually held them back in a way where if we really want to have a gender equality conversation, men need to be able to to cry and have emotion and that to be cultivated and women need to be able to be strong and think about how they want to show up differently. And even thinking like the number one question we get asked is, oh, I didn't know I had a choice. Like, oh, Hmm. what do I want? What do I want? That question is never asked in a way that lands for women in that broader spectrum, get married, have kids. And oh, by the way, one final point on this and then I'll pause is the extra interesting part because I had an incredible father. Vero had a great father. I think you have a great father that they cultivated us, right? And there were strong, independent, successful out there women. And the crux of it goes, and we see this is, yes, until they want their biological grandchildren. And then all of a sudden you've worked and worked and worked and you might be in your 30s or whatever. And it's like, where's your husband? Where's my grandchildren? So then you've got that, like nobody is asking a man to slow down to do that. And you as a female currently, I think this will change in the next 50 years as our reproductive rights change. Like how do you break through the glass ceiling and then you still are a disappointment? Like you still are held mm-hmm. back. So balancing all of that, we see that to look very different for the genders. May I add something else that I've observed is that female inheritors typically see their inheritance as a stumbling block for their personal relationships and romantic relationships. Do you see that? Uh, yes, that should also be its own podcast. Okay, it was formally <laughs> referred to as fiscal unequal, but now yeah. there's like a new... There's a new unequal, term. heterosexual... because uh, no, unequal is not... It's fiscally diverse, I think, or something. Oh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, fiscally diverse, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the new one? I can't keep up. A hundred percent. With going back to like the power situation, if there's a woman who is successful, automatically in the ether is the man trying to compete or compensate based on the way that they were socialized. And we know so many of our clients who like don't wear their nice outfits, don't wear their good handbags because there's a big trust issue. Do you really like me? Are you just here for my money? Are you just here because you want to be involved in my family's business? Those are very crippling conversations. And then to get into the prenup side of things, we really do need a separate podcast on that. But it is very challenging twofold. One is oftentimes the parents don't tell the daughters that they need to do that. And so you're trying to come into this part of your life where you're like so happy and love and trying to build trust and camaraderie. And then this comes down the pike. 
we've got so many, oh my gosh, I have so many funny examples. One guy, this is a male who wasn't prepared to tell his now wife, had her listen to a podcast where like the person suddenly dropped and she came back and she's like, are you trying to tell me I need to have a prenup? Like this conversation is not handled well on either side of the coin, but especially Mm. for women with money that that component is like an extra layer of shame or isolation. And so the inability to speak about it with a partner, especially because there's no clarity from the above generation. So I need to figure out how to tell somebody what I don't know is true about me. That's where the clarity really hinders the human development. I feel like I could go down a whole rabbit hole. Did I answer your question? No, you did. No, for sure. Veronica, please. Yeah. Yeah, and we also see that. And as Ella was mentioning, it also resonated for some male clients, the trust issue when dating. I mean, there's also, I hear them saying, we have this amazing guy we work with. He's a young adult, 26. I should say, you know, every time I go to my hometown, I see friends that I haven't seen for four years. And the first questions they ask is, hey, how long are you going to stay here? Do you have space to talk about a business? It's like, they're not even asking, how are you? How So we sometimes dig deep into when did you learn you were rich? And some of the stories go back to being a six-year-old and say, I didn't know if my friends were coming over because of the snacks that we had, the food, the toys, they would never invite me. So all, like I see the, um, the insecurity created mm-hmm. in both genders and in women. I also, what we have seen are also to add to all of the Ella um, stories and is also in relationship to their own children. So we have a work with someone. She's a female, 35 years old. She's still figuring out what she's going to do with this massive amount. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars coming to her. She doesn't have the lifestyle to ever even tap into millesimum of that. She lives a very simple life. And her biggest question is more towards what does that mean to my children? And what does that mean to my husband in his role? Because no matter how successful he is, He's never going to make in our lifetime 200, 300 million dollars. And how do I go about that? So all those deep questions, I don't think male inheritor is asking himself, what I'm going to do with this large amount? What does it mean to my wife? It's a very different question. And again, in female inheritors, what does this mean to my children? No matter the age, even if they are very young or I see them craft their concern, what does that mean to my second husband? And yeah. Mm. And so what do you ladies have issues? What tips do you have for them? How do they navigate such that? Because wealth should empower, right? As opposed to cripple and imprison. How do we move from that imprisonment to empowerment? Often what we see to be successful is an actual physical proximity move. So getting out from where you grew up, whether it's We've got a lot of clients that had to leave so someone wouldn't know their last name. I'm really lucky since it travels through my mom's side and my mom took my dad's name that I could navigate life much more simply than a lot of my cousins who have the last name. And so if you want to figure out who you are, you often need to leave where you're from to see what that looks like for you. And that, again, as I was saying earlier, doesn't mean you have to leave the country though, please go see other places, but just getting a different perspective. How do you change the view such that you don't think you're the center of the universe in that oppressive way? So Mm. do you need to change 
the types of events that you're going to. There's certainly a life where I could have just been going to fundraising dinners for the rest of my days and getting my hair blown out. And I was like, under no circumstances, thanks to the way my mother raised me, was that going to work? But figuring out who are you? And that's a really scary question because under the layers of all of the responsibility and the perceived or real, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if it's real or not. And so people are like, oh, huh, I didn't realize. And that's why part of the reason that the three of us are on this call today is really finding other people who have been through what you've been through, even if you don't think they have. I think the good news, bad news for the ego, like you're not the only one. So get out of your own head, get out of your body and go find other people because it's very antiquated the way that this privileged class is moving through. There's not like a place that is authentic where you can show up and be like, this is who I actually am. There's plenty of people, as Vera was saying, just the power to be able to share your experience, to get it Mm -hmm. out of you so it's Mm -hmm. not controlling you or inhibiting you is like thing one and two. And three, being connect to other people, find anybody. If anyone's listening to this and doesn't know, reach out to any one of us. We'd be happy to connect you to five Mm -hmm. to 50 women who have been through what you've been through. And then the courage that it takes to ask questions when Hmm. you're in such a privileged position where you could go through your whole life and not ask yourself any hard questions and kind of float or coast. It seems very appealing to me probably to two days a week. I'm like, let's just go do that. And the other five days a week, I'm like, no, 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 no. You're a human. You're here on purpose. Like what is the contribution and impact that you want to make? And to separate that from the dollars and the cents and the responsibility, like there are plenty of people with zero money who are making giant impact in this world. And especially with technology and globalization, like we compel people to be up to something bigger than yourself. If you're only making it about yourself, you're missing the boat completely. If I could add, to me, the most transforming thing that I've seen is just having a space to talk about this. And over and over in conversations that Ella and I, we have been is, we ask them, you know, they process these big issues that you're bringing, Nikkei, and they're like, oh, I just need to talk about it. It was like this energy, you know, just going around and now I'm clear. Now I have clarity. So as Ella was mentioning, find a space and we're happy to help you find and there are many great resources, but be curious enough and brave enough to listen to your voice and allow yourself to make these deep questions. Powerful, powerful. Ella, you mentioned that yourself and Michelle had a lot of commonalities, but there were distinctions as well, old money versus new money. And what were the major differences in terms of your experiences or what you observe from other inheritors that come from old money versus new money? Thank you for the question. I don't think it's something I would have thought of as a question until to reinforce everything we've said, until I talked to somebody else who had a similar but different, because It's not our problem. We only know what we know in our own heads. So go out and learn different perspectives. Okay, so we had three major industries that we were in. We are now non-operating owners in two out of three of those. And the financial institution that's still a place I, like my personal nuclear family, isn't really a part of or adjacent to. So I say all of that to say, I never felt the pressure of living up to the wealth creator because they've been dead for so long. So I feel a lot of freedom down the pike here in this iteration, seven generations down, where there's no pressure. Like, as I said, you just see a portrait on a wall. Like, I'm, there's history books. Like, sure, fine. But 
I don't have any pressure from that component to perform because for many generations, people have been sustaining or living off of what was prior created. Now, the flip side of that is inertia and what happens as things slow and the numbers of people grow. So we're in like the 500 person range. That's a very mm-hmm. different type of family system to take care of than a lot of our clients that are second generation are, you know, it's one sibling or four siblings or two cousins plus four. So their total family meetings are like 16 people. Like mm. the scale of that is very different. For me, it was very, I was raised with values that I don't think overtly come up earlier in wealth. So around preservation, conservation, taking care of the community mm-hmm. in a way that that's just steeped in who I am. And the, those are wonderful values. But when I talk to Michelle or when we talk to our G1, G2 clients, it's very much like, oh my God, I'm never going to be as good as the person yeah. who started all this. So why even try? Mm-hmm. And they're having a lot of conversations around setting up the family governance structure, which is a nightmare I'm learning. And yes, I have to deal with what was created a hundred plus years ago, but we have parliamentary procedure run in our meetings. Like there is a very clear understanding wow. of your role as a shareholder, your role as a board, what you can and can't vote on, who you are and what, like that's all been pre-ordained. And so there was no like challenging of that since it had been around where in the G2 and G1 component, it's is equal equitable. How are we going to split this? How are we going to share this? Who gets a voice? Who gets a vote? Do we want to come together on this? What happens if we see a lot, probably really in G3, once the grandparents who created the wealth are gone, like a split kind of as Vero was talking about where a fracture is in the family. So on the front end, how are you going to set up or how do you want to think about that here down at my end? which we've got some families that are like 12th or 14th generation. And then I just met somebody who's like 72nd generation from Confucius. So, wow, you know, there's a spectrum here. And please help me understand how you could trace all of that, but great. It's a real different side of the coin around like, what are the issues that you're thinking about and how does it manifest in you and how you want to be with your family members? Powerful, powerful. Veronica, I wanted to pick up on your story a little bit as well. You mentioned that your family business back in Mexico City went bankrupt when you were quite young. You know, quite often when we're having this conversation, we're talking about the passing on of wealth and wealth is typically assets and cash or some kind of liquidity. We don't usually talk about when it doesn't go well. What was that like for the family? And in these times with COVID where people might be having their businesses shut down, what advice do you have for them? It's a gift. And there is pain. A gift. It's a gift. Oh my God. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) I think to me. Wow. Say that again. Sorry. I was like busy talking over you. So yeah. To me, it it, it was a gift because it allowed me to leave failure and see that the end doesn't end and that I have the skills. So yeah, uh, it's so much to unpack. (laughs) Wow. Another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I think. I mean, the hard part, of course, is the emotional part of seeing, you know, the dad or the technique, you know, just the, the unions and the debt and the financing and then he questioning his purpose. And I remember my mom mentioned someone in my family, you know, I'm afraid that he's going to suicide because, you know, this life mm-hmm. that they put. So that crisis, of course, it has a very deep and difficult situation. 
we didn't know and they were coming for our house at 11. But I would say, and I would repeat, it was a gift because it allowed me to leave failure and see reinvention and see my dad. He had everything he needed. He had all the skills. And actually when he, again, he passed away five years ago and he was so stressed and he was like, Vero, I'm so sorry that I'm not giving you any assets, any wealth. And I was like, dad, what are you talking about? I don't need a million dollars. You gave me the skills to generate that as many times as I need it. And that's one of the parts that I, when I see the next members, I, I say, you know, don't miss that. Don't miss that failure. I also think that under these stories of perfection and we only mm. hear the success. And I think the next gen needs the failure, needs the human part. This is not just the wizard of Oz that can give you all the wishes and grant you everything. It's a human that has failed many times and has been scared. And when you go deep in the stories, like almost bankrupt many times, or they just rebuild. And it allowed me to see this passion. What was my dad really up to? And he wanted to create something larger and it was never about the money. So it's always about the skills, the challenge, the growth. So if anybody's listening to this and is going through that process, I promise you it's a gift. Limitation creates opportunity and it makes us stretch. And um, wow. so there's always those two sides. Can I piggyback off of, um, I almost cracked my neck. I was nodding so profusely on mute. We do ourselves a real disservice not talking about failure. So let's do a whole other podcast series on failure because even I personally have failed more times than I've succeeded in every failure, although painful has gone to something. And I really want to, I'm so grateful that my parents and specifically my father, he always had the sentiment where it's just money. So if mm. you hold it lightly and it's something that isn't part of who you are, then it doesn't define you or control you. And to what Vera was saying, raising children with critical thinking skills, whether they're 12 or whether they're 40 years old, like what are we doing as a society to create better humans? Because as I think I said earlier, we've got this incredible group and I know Vero does too in her clients that are this like 20 to 30 range. And the way that they see the world, I am so inspired. Forget millennials, we're over, I'm done. That's yeah. fine. But like this Gen Z, they are so globally minded, so civically minded. And I'm so impressed by not being held back by some of the things that we've been talking about, which I really hope dissolve in our lifetimes to free up that creativity that will produce the new way that the world operates from climate change to all the things that I didn't even think were touchable and now this group is doing. And in the privileged lens, not allowing, regardless of gender, people to have practice at failing. Many people talk about it as a growth mindset with Dweck or grit or like that component. Then we're paralyzing the ability to create and it's the creation aspect, whether it's in your kitchen or on a global scale that really allows people to get in touch with their humanity and get inner fuel to inspire and go out and do things that involve failure. There is no success without failure. And as Vero said, I think we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. 100, 100%. Vera, do you want to add? No, I, I just wish we had a, pod, a podcast series about failure because I do think that we need those stories and it allows for the human part. Do you think there's a different perspective? Sorry, I'm going to flip the script on you both. 
do you feel that there's a gendered expectation around failure that looks different or is it the same? <laughs> I don't know. I don't I think know. You think there is? A gender, yes, I think. Well, it would mean what's the definition? Is there a gendered expectation with regards to success? Are there different definitions of success or by all genders? Yeah. And then by virtue of whatever that answer is, we then determine whether there's a gendered kind of expectations of failure. Mm-hmm. I think so. And then you add a layer of culture, right? And then yeah. the culture will have a more specific definition of success. And so I think there's... That's podcast number nine that we need to record. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking on a list. All year if you need us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and on to the COVID question. How have you seen that affect next gens and women of wealth? And what do you think they should brace themselves for? I think we're just starting to see the effects. And to us, our clients, it has been a lot, I think, in two levels, especially when it comes to family businesses, fragility on the founders. I mean, this acceleration of syndromes and diseases. And so we see them very different. These giants that say, I'm never going to retire. And suddenly we have seen extreme cases and that has definitely shaken the families. And I think it has also awakened the next gen members saying, you know, we really need to hurry up and do have conversations that we didn't want to have. Mm -hmm. And our experience has also been in the realm of mental health. So many things, you know, we have seen all sorts of things from abuse and addiction and from very early ages, say at 14, 11, a girl that just got, you know, into this TikTok account or Instagram account, health account. And now, you know, she's dealing with food issues uh, very, very heavily. And I think it was all because of COVID. So I think we have seen a lot of the cases, but I haven't been able to see the depth of this and the results. And I think it's going to be positive, but it's also going to be hard. And we're dealing with things that I think we didn't want it to. Maybe there was underlying addiction. Maybe there's an underlying conversation that we knew that we had to have. I think it was an accelerator of things that we were avoiding and that we're helping families to deal with. Yeah, I agree with Vero on see it as a magnifying glass. So whatever was happening before is now a hundredfold. And I think that it's on a individual level, but also as a, in the States as a national level and also on the global level, there's so much work to be done treating humans like humans. We've got a long way to go with social class, race, like all of these things that were brought, which have been there, but in the privileged realm, you don't have to think about those things because you can walk around them. And the magnifying glass, we've learned a lot about each other in this instance. So it, there, not a lot of people could bury their head in the sand anymore. It was more of an awakening. And how were you going to react? Is it going to be you're going to double down on the position that you've held for 20 years or 50 years or 70 years and that's it? Or is this the opportunity, the crack to allow mm-hmm. some light in so that you could be different if you wanted to be different? From a long-term scale, I don't think... I would feel foolish to say that I would have any idea what the long-term impacts of Mm. this have been. And the best part of humanity and the worst part have been brought to the light. And so what are we going to do with the great wealth transfer of X amount of trillions of dollars that are happening in the next year, 10 years, five now? Gosh, I don't even know what year it is anymore. 
but I think we're at a critical pivot point. So like what we do in these next 18 months will set the stage for how the world functions for the next 20 years, I believe. I completely agree with your vision. And uh, what are you working on you're excited about? We are energized to the nth degree about the Worldwide Women's Council that is a joint venture between Perpetum, where Vero works, and WealthWorks, where Michelle and I hang out. And it is a global group of ambitious, caring women. We get together once a month for several hours and connect. And it Mm -hmm. is this magical, sacred space where if you are in a family system, if you are a female within a family system, and you're not sure what it is, or you don't know, or you just want a place where you can tell 100% of your truth, there's so many spaces. I'll speak for myself when I know this for clients. And it's almost as if it's like code switching that in certain arenas, you say just a certain amount of things. Okay, won't talk about this part or talk about this part or what. And to just be able to be like fully who you are, this is a space where women get together and it's their only opportunity, they say, to be completely transparent in a confidential place to really support each other. And that can look emotionally like, okay, I'm going to become the president of my family's enterprise. Can you help me think through how the stock meeting should go? All the way to I'm getting divorced. Like, what do I, how do I protect Mm -hmm. my children? All the Mm -hmm. way to, oh my gosh, I'm getting engaged. How do I have the prenup conversation? Like all of life Mm -hmm. happens in this sphere. And then the layer of, oh, okay, in the States, it looks like this. In Hong Kong, the expectations are this. In Mexico, the expectations are this. So you get the magic of, we're really so much more similar than we are different, but we don't put Mm -hmm. ourselves in situations where we can be one who we are, but to listen. And so I think there's a deep listening component of that feminine energy that's in a hyper-masculine world that we all traverse. It's just like such an exhale. I don't know. I'm waxing poetically. Go ahead, Vera. Bring us back. (laughs) This was all born out of Ella, Michelle, and me just listening to this and seeing the pain behind the silence. And we were just like, I cannot handle it anymore. We need create a space, the lack of agency just was palpable and the suffering, as as Ella was mentioning, it was palpable. So we wanted a solution. We saw what other forums are and they were very content-driven. So I'm going to teach you about investing and this. And then we're like, that's great. And we need something else where they come, they bring Mm. their issues. So against meetings is where we felt that you can come and you have to take off the role. Everybody's, you know, opening the kimono, Tell us what you're not willing to tell anywhere anywhere else. And what we have experienced is freedom and clarity and connection. And the fact that someone else across the globe is living the same, I think there is a level of relief saying, oh my God, I'm not that alone. And we create extraordinary good questions. We want something that is not linked to selling anything. Like I think somebody was like, well, what's the pitch? And we're like, no, we're not selling anything. We're truly passionate about this. We do believe that through this work, we are having a deep impact on families and inheritors and ultimately employees, elevating the conversation, bringing clarity. All of these family enterprise members become stronger team players. Amazing. And if anyone wants to learn more about W3, how can they get more information? Oh, they can reach out to. Me, I will give you my email address for the call notes or how, is that helpful? Sure, yeah, Yeah, I'd be happy to 
chat with anyone with questions. We learn so much. Like I have learned so much from all of these women in the group. It's just, it's restorative to your soul. Everyone shows up and they're like, oh my God, this is so long. Like, can I actually get it to the meeting? And then they leave and they're like, it went so fast. I wish I could stay more. Like, can we hang out longer? So it's just, it's magic. And having been in corporate and in my own family enterprise and involved in all of the other official forums, which are great and have their space, I've never seen anything like this. And there's no rhetoric around the role of women in a way that's like, okay, women and wealth, how do we do that? And it's just kind of like, don't put me in that box. You don't take a male program, slap the name woman on it, and then try to deliver the same content. It's not going to resonate with me. So Vero and I had seen that around and we're like, let's create something that we wish we had. Incredible. If anyone wants to get hold of you individually, how can they get hold of you, Ella, and you, Veronica? I am happy to give them my cell phone number. If you have any questions or need anything, call me. And let's see, I'm 01-617-866-0007. Nice. Yes, for me, just LinkedIn at Veronica Reina for Petum Consulting, our website, www.perpetumconsulting.com or my email, veronica at perpetumconsulting.com. And if not, Ella, we yeah. now we have yeah. a mobile, so... You can call yeah. my assistant, Ellen. <laughs> you can leave a message with Ellen. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, amazing. For sure. We'll put the contact details in the show notes so it's easy for the listeners to get in touch with you. Can I just say thank you, ladies? We've had like 3,000 conversations in one. <laughs> and honestly, your stories really touched me. There was a point I was actually crying when you were speaking of Veronica. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've learned so much, and I'm sure this is thoroughly, thoroughly blessed listeners as well. Awesome. Thank you so much yeah, for creating this space. Yeah, thank you. It was a treasure. Thank you. Whoa. These ladies are just fire. Fire, fire, fire. There's just so much to unpack from that loaded conversation. Like we promised you you'll have eight million <laughs> follow-up podcast episodes. But on a serious note, I loved what Ella kept referring to this distinction between a voice and a vote. So quite often we have a vote stemming from our legal ownership, having shares in a business, having ownership over assets, etc. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a voice, we have a say, we have influence. And it's until we have a voice that we then have emotional ownership, where we feel connected to the things that we do own. And in order for to encourage everyone to have a voice, we have to move from just being diverse to being inclusive. Because the interesting thing is, I believe that families have an unrivaled advantage compared to other institutions. They have a natural endowment of diversity that other institutions do not have to have. They have age diversity, generational diversity, tribe diversity in terms of factions of the family, as well as gender diversity. But in order to maximize that diversity and see it turn into concrete gains, we have to create a culture of inclusion, a culture where we move from just having people of different backgrounds coexisting to them co-creating. And on to my girl, Veronica. I loved when she kept talking about the, we commonly observe missing conversations in families. And it's really important to have conversations 
And there's a distinction between transactional conversations and transformational conversations. In transactional conversations, we share information, we talk about the observable, we talk about the technical, right? And transactional conversations usually have an ask-tell dynamic where we're just communicating to inform and confirm. But when we have transformational conversations, transformational conversations infuse the emotional with the intellectual. So we're sharing not just information, but we're sharing matters of the heart, matters of trauma, matters of disappointment, matters of fears, aspirations. And as a result, we're better connected. We move from seeing ourselves as being so isolated, misunderstood, going through what we're going through alone to seeing ourselves in each other and each other in ourselves, where we can draw on the stories of our other family members and glean wisdom from them. We can draw strength from them and build a legacy. And when I'm talking about legacy, I'm not talking about legacy as we usually talk about in this setting. I'm not talking about the things you're passing on to your family. I'm talking about a legacy of learning, a legacy of wisdom, a legacy of knowledge, a legacy of intelligence. I really believe that it's in a place of connection that we're able to co-create better. And in this disruptive world that we find ourselves in, as business owners, as wealth owners, a key issue we face is how do we make good decisions? We can only make great decisions in a place where we're co-creating and not coexisting. In a place where we're connected, not just at the head, but also at the heart. So my TED talk is over. <laughs> yeah, thank you so, so much for tuning in and listening to my mini TED talk. I have so much to share and I keep promising that I'm going to do a solo episode. I really will. I've been writing a book on this whole concept, connections and family businesses and family enterprises. And so I'll do a solo episode and share with you some news and some snippets on what this book is about, what to expect and etc. Until then, take good care and God bless you.